Today's guests from the Creativity Effect have facilitated more than 500 design thinking projects for over 22 hospitals, 37 international companies, and six universities. Karen Tilstra has a PhD in creative leadership and innovation. How cool is that? She and Andy Tilstra have stood up in an innovation lab for Orlando Magic and launched the award-winning Florida Hospital Innovation Lab. Today, we explore the topic of innovation. You're listening to C-Suite Blueprint, the show for C-Suite leaders. Here we discuss no BS approaches to organizational readiness and digital transformation. Let's start the show. Karen, Andy, thank you so much for joining me. I thought a great spot to start is get some common language in place and just talk about how do you describe innovation and how do you describe the type of innovation lab that, that you help create? Well, for me, I describe innovation as the outcome of creative process, creative thinking. So an innovation is something that was created. And so it came from a creative process, thinking about it, trying it, iterate, iterating it forward. Andy, do you have anything? Yeah, well, I've, I've actually, I have maybe a more iconoclast or, or anti-antithesis perspective of innovation. I kind of view it as like the opposite of culture. It's kind of like, because I think culture and tradition are like, what have we done before and what's the same things that we've kept going? So innovation is like, what's a new thing that kind of goes counter culture? And I think that's also why innovation is sometimes so hard for people to grasp or understand because it's the very counter to what the best practices or what people have been comfortable doing for so long. So I definitely agree also with what Karen said. I think I like to take a more cultural, anthropological approach, but I love Karen's definition as well. Well, there's lots of definitions. Actually, and it's hotly debated. In fact, some people say there there really is no agreed upon definition. But I personally think if we're specific, being really, really specific, creative thinking and the creative process leads to innovations. But then you asked about a lab, it. an innovation lab. There are many yes. kinds of innovation labs. And I feel oftentimes organizations specifically define innovation too narrow. They put innovation off kind of as an addendum to their organization. But the kind of labs I love to work in that we help create are design thinking labs where they sit inside the organization or they're virtual or they're mobile. And they can move around and anyone can access them at any level of the organization. And they really exist to be a bridge to frontline knowledge to the top and a way to get conversations going and learn new things and try new things and get feedback and keep information and knowledge really at the forefront. And design thinking labs, I think, do that really well. They get people connected and they really are deep feedback fields. Yeah, we, we help design design thinking labs, which when people hear innovation lab, they sometimes think, oh, what are you creating? What, what are those products you're making? What are like, how many 3D printers do you have? You probably have so many. It's like, no, 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 we don't. We don't work on the rapid prototyping side. We work very much on the process and skills side. So we use design thinking methodology, the five-stage methodology of using empathy to then reframe or define, then ideate, prototype, and then test. So the innovation labs that we design are ones very focused on design thinking process to put the people of the organization, so the, the employees, because we like to create embedded innovation labs in an organization, to make them the experts where they're the ones bringing forth the knowledge and the expertise. We're just giving them the tools and the process with design thinking. No, it's really human-centered and based on the concept that people care what they help create and they're responsible when they care. So you can have 
a lot of things happening in an organization that the top leadership knows nothing about and probably never would be involved, but it directly affects the organization in a big way. And so design thinking innovation labs are, you might say, a low level or a kind of innovation model or strategy that really keeps the frontline knowledge very much known and circulating through the organization in a dynamic way where there's constant feedback. And when you have people working on challenges that they see that actually would support the goals and aspirations of the organization, and they work on these and they solve them, it just puts the organization that much more forward and that much more relevant. And this, The kind of labs we design are really to keep the organization relevant and sustainable. So they never have to be disrupted. I love it. So it's it's not just an expensive office with a whole bunch of wacky furniture off in the corner somewhere. This is is more of a mindset and, and a way of bridging the gap across the whole organization. And Karen, I know, you know, you've often equated innovation to improv. You know, I think there's nothing better than frontline workers. They're improvising all the time. And, you know, I'd be curious, you know, how do you find those improvisations and then get them to then be pulled back into the, the rest of the organization? Well, one thing that I found is when you bring innovation to organization, the frontline often says, oh, that's not us. We don't have a voice or don't ask us. We just work here because they've been so conditioned that they don't really matter. But in reality, when you look at an organization, the front line is where so much knowledge sits and where you can learn so much about what the reason you even exist. And so what we actually, when one of the first innovation labs I started in a large healthcare system, it was very intriguing to me to, I'd just come out of my doctoral studies and I really wanted to see how we could bridge frontline knowledge to the top leadership and middle management and above, but specifically that top strata. And I started really seeing that in all due respect, but the farther people got to the top, the less they were, they were farther from the knowledge. And so we started to invite, when we started the lab, top leadership was really behind it. And voices were there. You come in, bring your challenges, bring your problems, help us support our goals and aspirations. And the front line were like, we're afraid to come in. I better not say anything. If I come in and say something, am I going to get fired? And the tool that we used was improv. And I felt really blessed because my sons were in high school at the time and they wanted to do something more than music or they like sports, but they weren't heavily into sports. And so we started looking into improv and we hired an improv instructor from the local improv comedy club here, which is actually quite well-known sat comedy lab. And I got to know Richard is his name. I got to know him. And as we were launching our, this first lab, I started thinking maybe this is a way we could help frontline workers become more comfortable. And so I started thinking of this analogy that this lab was at the way the frontline workers viewed it was an island. And to get to the island, aka lab, they had to cross the moat, and the moat was too scary. There were too many sharks and scary things. So improv served as a bridge for people to come in. And I discovered that working with frontline staff, they're very eager. Once they feel safe, they're very eager. They have lots of ideas, tons and tons of knowledge. And the way we set up their, the way they worked through their challenges they brought in, they did have FaceTime with top leaders and they could share their new insights they learned, solutions that they thought might be helpful and the feedback they'd gotten on their solutions. It's very dynamic. I heard top leaders say over and over again, wow, this was so helpful. We didn't know that. We would never know that. And I had the wonderful experience of seeing so many frontline staff 
who had been working in healthcare for years say to me, we have never had an idea put forward. I never got to speak to a top leader. I got to present at a town hall. Wow, I never imagined in a million years that would happen. And so I found design thinking, embedded design thinking labs really gave the organization a new language, a new way to actually address challenges, but also reimagine their future collaboratively. It it was a very exciting process. Yeah. And embedded design thinking lab, especially when we created, or, you know, Karen, I came on kind of later in the process because we created this or Karen created that in like 2012. It's kind of like a structured way to not follow the structure. I don't know, Karen, if you can explain, because I remember Phil created a way for frontline employees, specifically like nurses, doctors, patients, really anyone, you know, EVS, to be able to hop, skip and jump over the boundaries and the barriers in place in a huge organization. I mean, this hospital, this single campus had like 10,000 employees or several thousand employees at the very least. So how do you get this patient or this nurse in the same room as the CEO or the director? And then how do you get that empathy so that the director then can make changes happen throughout the organization? And, and this design thinking lab created a way to kind of break down that structure in a safe and very collaborative way where it was non-aggressive and non-confrontational. So it was genius on, on Karen's side and, and she created it from the ground up and it was, it was an incredible place. There was a lot of other studies and other experts that we drew from. <laughs> but also, I, I really I, saw I, that innovation works in an organization when you have a good methodology and you have leadership support. If you lack either of those, you're going to go off the rails. But nothing really happens in an organization unless leader support. So there has to be leadership training also or education or bringing them on board. And I found that all leaders want to innovate. The challenge is a lot of them don't know how, or they feel like they say, go innovate, or I'm telling my group to innovate, be creative, but yet they're not changing anything in the structure. So an innovation lab can be very scrappy. I like to say scrappy, where you could, when we started this particular lab, the same way several labs I started, let's just figure out what we have on hand, tables or chairs, and use those. My bigger thing was to get the boards, either whiteboard paint or whiteboards that people could use, but it doesn't have to cost that much money to get going. I love that. I love the way that you describe it as as you know giving the frontline workers a voice, and then also you know changing the leadership so that they're set up in a way that they can accept those ideas and accept that voice of the frontline workers. Because I feel like a lot of people when they think innovation lab, they think that this is a place where it's just an idea factory where ideas are being cranked out, and they're they also they have to be like these way off the wall crazy ideas, and people are just frustrated because they're thinking, well, we have so many inefficiencies, we already have plenty of ideas today. Why would we need this idea factory over there? And so, you know, I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I would imagine standing up Innovation Lab within healthcare is, I'm not imagining it's the most straightforward and, and easy of things. I'd be curious what challenges and resistance and types of things do you face in those types of environments? How, how long do you got, George? Are we here for the next few hours? Or <laughs> One thing, though, that I say that right off the bat, we say ideas are a dime a dozen. The ideas are everywhere. Mm. It's the execution of the idea that matters. Because, and also, that's what's so cool about the kind of labs we work with is you're getting a lot of feedback all along the way. It's very iterative. And an idea might come up and say, well, don't be married to it. It looks like it's not worth uh, exploring. Let's move something else. You talked about challenges. To me, the biggest challenge, wherever, if it was healthcare, pro sports, government, education, 
the biggest challenge is getting people to understand they don't have to take themselves so seriously. They can take the work seriously, but not themselves. I'm still struggling with that. And, and I work with Karen on a daily basis. <laughs> if they can get to that point, actually, anything's that possible. We're working on a, a presentation we're doing for a group in Ireland. And um, that's the point we're really driving home is that if people come together, anything's possible. We just have these beliefs that organizations have to operate in certain ways. And we have all these structures of communication and all these timelines to get things approved. We have fooled ourselves in that way. Sometimes it's needed, but most of the time we just need to try something. So that is a big challenge, and especially in healthcare. You have lots and lots of egos. But I thought the most challenging thing was to get the front line to relax. It's like they had been so conditioned, like, I can't be in the same room with a doctor. I don't dare. I'm not going to say anything to a doctor. We had so many beautiful experiences where doctors worked with staff nurses with whole variety across the board. And it all almost always ended with, wow, why weren't we talking sooner? Because of that, of that problem that you, the stratification in healthcare and the just the different roles people play, I wanted something in that lab that people would have to interact with to say, I'm here and all stratifications aside, hierarchy is going to be put on hold for a minute. And so I've been working with a group that really understood healthcare because I didn't come from healthcare. And we landed on this tree. <laughs> we, we call it the badge tree because badges are a big deal in healthcare. Everyone wears a badge. And the badges at that point in time really stated where you came from. Top, front line. The badges looked quite different. The frontline staff had their full name, picture. Top just had a name, front only first name. And what they would do, well, we asked a local artist to design a a tree for us. So she came with this bronze tree and it was awesome, but we were kind of joking because it, what she brought looked like a marijuana tree. And at that point, you know, marijuana was... <laughs> so some of the people said, this is a good omen. But anyway, they would, when people would come in, we would ask them to hang their badges on this tree. And we were very strict about it to start with because we said, we got to own this. Otherwise, it's going to look sappy and stupid. But people... And so we'd say, we're checking in. Hang badge on the tree. I'm checking in badge tree became a symbol for the lab that said to people, everyone's welcome and we're going to hear your idea or you'll hear your thought or your feedback, no matter who you are and who, no matter who you say it to. And then we said, when you leave, you can take your badge and check out. And we really needed a strong metaphor like that because it was just unheard of that we, the combinations of people we had sitting around working on a challenge, talking, brainstorming, giving feedback to each other was very, was just not done before. And when it worked, which most of the time it did, it was awesome. That's great. So, so you heard it here. Ma marijuana kickstarts the innovation process. That's, that's what I heard. I remember one guy came in from, um, he was on, our, on one of the OR teams and operating teams. And he came in and he goes, this is awesome. I think they're sanctioning marijuana. And then I looked oh. up and I said, oh my gosh, it does look like a marijuana plant. We said, anyway, um, his name is Arnie. Arnie, you seem a little too familiar with that. So <laughs> anyway, 
I love that concept of, of leaving the badge at the door, because when I was preparing for this, I started to think about innovation slightly differently. I started to think about it a little bit like organizational mindfulness. You know, at this point in my life, I've been trying to focus a lot more on mindfulness. And, you know, mindfulness is you have all these ideas that are just floating around. You try to make space to, you know, kind of honor that and say, is this an idea that, that I need right now? Or can I just let that idea go? And you keep doing that until you kind of center in on the idea that you need to focus on right now. And, you know, along those lines, to really exercise that mindfulness, you need to find the space and the time. And frontline workers are so busy. I mean, everyone's busy. How do you get an organization, especially, you know, in, in healthcare, to carve off the time and carve off the space to dedicate to this? Very good question. And that was the big worry. We started, every lab I've worked with, the big worry is, okay, no one's going to come or we're going to give them permission and everyone's going to come and sit in here all day long and don't and not do any work. The real work. It never happened the second way. People didn't just come in mindlessly. But this is where top leadership really plays a role. When you have, so we're doing some work for Orange County right now, and the top leader has to say, we're behind this innovation, and we will help you work it out. So we say that leaders do four things either to kill or enhance innovation. One is that they have a voice, that they use their voice to say, we're going to really do innovation. We're behind this. We're going to find out what that means. They provide resources and resources are not just money. It's time, people, place, and money. But also it's training people and then holding people accountable. And so what I found in every place we had a lab that was successful, and I say successful, we know they're not always going to be successful because once leadership changes in an organization, you don't know what's going to happen. It's just, but when you have a leader say we're, we're really behind innovation and then you ask, they ask their people they're responsible for, how are we going to make this happen? It really does start to work. So that's where it's a multifaceted, but you have to have the leader work with leaders and not just expect they know. And see, that's one thing that I really had to learn kind of the hard way that top leaders don't always know what innovation is. They don't know how to make it happen. So when you help a leader realize if they just hold their direct reports responsible or accountable, what are they doing to help make this happen? And then those people hold the next people accountable. Change does happen. And especially when you put some language with that. So when in design thinking labs, empathy is a big word, empathy and feedback, iterative learning, you get comfortable showing not perfect work, work that's kind of scruffy still. It is a process. It's iterative in itself. Setting up a lab is an iterative process. Definitely. And kind of going off what you're saying about organizational mindfulness, with our design thinking methodology, but it's not ours, but the way we like to view it is it's 80% problem learning and then 20% problem solving. So there's a huge focus on that empathetic, what's really going on here? What's the story? What's the feeling? And in a hospital, you know, you'd expect that to be taking place more often. But, you know, when you get an organization that big, things get lost in the cracks, a patient's story or a nurse's feelings sometimes get pushed to the side. So Phil, the Florida Hospital Innovation Lab provided such a, an incredibly safe space for that mindfulness, for the learning of what others were going through and that empathetic gathering and understanding. And, and as what Karen's saying with the voice of leadership, leadership has to sanction this has to bless this and give it like this is what we need to start focusing on this is it i am advocating for this type of creativity and for this empathy and there's three other things too there's education um, accountability 
And then I'm drawing a blank here, Karen. There's four. This voice, accountability, resources, and education. Okay, great. Yeah. We just went over this this morning too. So, but that's, that's what we really say that the, the leaders can absolutely be the turning point for innovation within an organization because at a place of power in a hierarchy, those four things really fall to the top section, to the top leadership. And it looks different in every setting too. You know, another thing that we've learned, especially when you talk about healthcare or pro sports, you're talking a lot about best practice. Best practice is really a good thing, but when you're talking about not getting disrupted or trying to stay relevant or sustainable, you have to really challenge your best practices all the time and think about next practice. So in healthcare, that's a really big deal because with magnet hospitals and everyone trying to get to best practice, sometimes that consumes the whole thing. And the next thing we know, some kid in a garage invented something that totally disrupted a whole part of healthcare, which has happened on multiple occasions. So when you're actually, an innovation lab can be very vital in helping frontline middle management come in and explore a challenge that, they're, that they see. What does this look like? What's really going on? Is, are we still relevant? Is the best practice still what it was two years ago? And getting people to actually have that mindset is a big step because so many healthcare professionals are really, it's drilled into their head, best practice, best practice, best practice. And so I can't deviate from what this algorithm of best practice says. So that's a, and actually sports has some of that also. But again, it's when we stop, pause and breathe and look and see what's happening. That's what we forget to do. Yeah, we we all do. I actually was guilty of this recently. But I, I love that you talk about both empathy and the learning because, I mean, they go hand in hand. But then that number of 80% problem learning is, I re- think, really impactful. Because if I use an imaginary timeline of, let's say, 10 days, I could see an executive saying, all right, you know, I'm hoping after two weeks or so, I'll start seeing some solutions. And, you know, I would think if so, you know, out of 10 days, if, if you're taking eight days to just learn about the problem, or let's say it's, it's 10 weeks, you know, you're taking eight weeks to learn and only two, two weeks to solve. I could see, you know, people having a lot of anxiety about uh, about that. You know, it's like, hey, we really need to get to the solving, and and I love that, and and maybe that comes to the, that what you said that the, the executives need to leave the space for it. What are those things that they do that that kill these innovation labs or innovation? I love that question. Well, executives do good work. Executives are there to execute, and they're also people don't tell them the truth. People don't aren't honest with executives. Executive walks in the room and everyone's behavior changes. And that's one thing a lab tries to do. It's okay. And to work with the executive, hear the truth, embrace the truth. The truth will set you free, an old saying. The thing is that to train people what learning is and that questions and pauses to notice what's happening are more important oftentimes than answers. And we've oftentimes had the experience when executives arrive, it's like, okay, guys, we need to get this done. We need to get it done now. All right. But can you give us time to learn? And so what we would do is we put what I call the four minute report out. And these are four minute little where we tell the executive, we just need four minutes just to keep them informed. We just got this new insight. We just went and experienced what the end user experienced. We went and experienced what the customer experienced. We took our team through the ER emergency room registration process. And wow, this is what we learned. We rode around in gurneys, unknown to the transporters, for five hours. We had doctors do that. Wow, this is what we learned. When it, I've learned 
executives, when you give them insights that you have drawn from direct experience, not from a survey, not from some crazy thing that comes in the email once you go see a doctor, but actually you walk in the patient's shoes, you walk in the doctor's shoes, you walk in the nurse's shoes, and you tell, you share it with the executive, almost always it's like, wow, we had no idea. We didn't realize. And I've learned that when executives get insights, my experience has been, especially if they're savvy towards innovation or they, they already have said, yes, we want to be innovative. They will come and sit with you and say, how did we miss that? Or how can we learn more about that? Or what do we need to do next? And I love the design thinking process because it gives a way for people to be creative because you can't just be creative. Just in an organization, you can't be creative randomly. So design thinking is very iterative, very flexible, but it's very clear pathway forward that gives people opportunity to learn, connect, rethink, pause, try, get feedback, try again, get feedback, all based on the process or the idea that we really don't know, so we're going to learn. And when we do learn something, we're going to not be married to that and we're going to get feedback and we're going to look at feedback as a gift. And we always say there's no such thing as bad feedback. Feedback is just information, and, so, and that information is a lifeline. How it can be delivered can sometimes be a problem, but yeah, yes, feedback is, is always good. Right, yeah. Hey, you, you need to change everything. We just say, when, when you get feedback, just say thank you. You don't have to defend yeah. or anything. Just say thank you. And I so many if, people if said, to- wow. Also, we have developed the – well, it's not just us. A lot of people have feedback grids. What we love, what you would like to see change, questions that came up or new ideas that came up. Mm-hmm. And when you give people the feedback grid or teach them about feedback, it's really helpful how they can give it. People's often – well, that was another thing. Executives, when they would come to hear some of the projects, the outcomes, it's like, we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to make them feel discouraged. So then we said, we got to teach them how to give feedback. And that was really fun and quite actual informative. So we never just assume people know how to give or take feedback. Yeah, that, that's a great idea you had. Here's why it's stupid. So that grid keeps you from the... doing it. it. You can say what you love, but then what you'd like to see changed. And also you set the team up to hear that. And the four-minute report outs are, are awesome. I think they're awesome because the executive then, they're always in a hurry. It's like, okay, I can do this in four minutes. But what we found, if we keep our four minutes, they'll have lots of questions. But that's on their that's their decision to stay longer. So if I was to add to you to the, you know, what are ways that executives can kill, we've we've given a few presentations and we found that when in it when executives define innovation too narrowly, as in like it can only look like this, it can only be an iPod, can only be an iPhone, can only be technology or only from certain people, that is a surefire way to absolutely destroy innovation. And what we mean by that, though, is you can't just say anything's innovation, even though for being technical, it is. But it's not, you need a broad definition of innovation so that it can, it can take the form of many things. That's why we said we're not, we're not like an R&D lab. We're not like a product lab because innovation could be a nurse behaving differently for a patient, you know, putting on a paper hat to, to signify that they're in a different role than when they came earlier. It could be an EVS using a different tool in a different room. It, it doesn't have to be such high tech, you know, like dark matter or like teleportation, like, whoa, this is so new and so crazy. It can be just using different language for different end users. 
That is a really valuable point when you're innovating inside the organization, you're trying to innovate to create a culture of innovation, is to start to see innovate. innovation can be everyone's job. And some people say, okay, that is not true. But I actually think it is because we've worked with enough organizations and been inside enough organizations for enough hours to see that no matter where you sit in the organization, everybody has room to think creatively and do it better or adapt it to different things. And when people feel free to do that, always aligning to the goals and aspirations of the organization, we've seen employee engagement rise up to 23% percentile points up. We have seen language change. We have heard people say, you know, I'm interested now. I actually helped modify this, what we were working on or what we offered. I'm interested. I I love this organization. And I think for many leaders, they don't, I would say that's one thing they really miss is they somehow fail to understand that when they give their employees latitude to think and make their own position better, it improves the whole organization, but also it really raises their engagement. And people want, people love to innovate. They love to think creatively. And also people want to be visible. They want to know they matter. And I personally think that having an innovative organization is one of the best ways to let that happen. I love that. And and I, I love that, that employee engagement number that you threw out there because one thing I know that a lot of our clients have a challenge with, and, and really any executive, is you're, if you are going to create the space, if you are going to give the budget, you need to measure it somehow, right? Otherwise, are you just throwing money down a black hole? And I know, you know, some of the darker parts of my mind, one way I like to measure Innovation Labs is to just view it as an idea killing machine. So, you know, you're taking all these machines and all these ideas and how quickly can we take this idea, kind of feed it through the machine, figure out if it's good or just kill it. And, you know, inevitably more are going to be killed than than not. And so I kind of view that's one measurement. Employee engagement is another one that you just said. I'd be curious, you know, is that a crazy way to think about it as a killing machine? But then also, are there other ways that you think about measuring it? Big question, too, because how do you measure? Well, do we struggle with that? We continue to struggle with it, but there's a couple of things we've done. One thing we, I was interested in knowing is how many people, even after the leader said we want to innovate and made it possible, we made it as low barrier and easy access as possible for people to come in and bring us something that they were struggling with. And we had a very simple vetting process. How many people would come in, stay with the process, help them build a team, get to the final ending? Some happen very rapidly, some take, took more time, and then embed, and then say it was worth it, I would do it again. That was interesting to me. And we found that overwhelmingly, I'm not looking quite at those numbers, but it was well into the 80s, 80%. And we, would, and we asked, we were always asking, would you recommend your colleague to come? We were in the 90 percentile, pro sports, healthcare, education, and private business. Yes, we would tell our employees to come. But we had to always be mindful too, that we needed to let them know when they came in, we had a specific goal. They had a goal. They needed to, they had milestones they needed to reach. But we did struggle to define some of the kind of mystery of things that would happen. So we eventually came up with this ice water steam model. (laughs) It sounds kind of stupid, I know, but so ice are those situations, those projects that just had clear we had we improved our retention rate by 46% over the course of the last 2 years so clear done then the water were like for example we had a project we worked on that we included nurses doctors phlebotomists and some other allied health 
they came up with a solution. It was awesome. It worked. And we were giving, they were giving a report on that. One of the executives came up to me and said, Karen, that was that. Now it's been eight months down the line where so many more things came from that. So many more great intended consequences. So we said, okay, those are our water. They start like the mouth of a river and it flows down and things change and it's going. So it's always changing. Then we had our steam where some projects came in and they went out and they got a solution. We don't know what exactly they did in the sense of to make a difference, but everything got better. And so I was telling an executive once, I said, you know, sometimes they just come in and get better. And I said, he said, well, that's good. Let's just count it. So then that's when we said, okay, those are our steam projects. So shortly after we kind of... That's where the magic lives. <laughs> yeah. Well, some executives say, okay, come on, you can measure every single thing. I said, yeah, you can, but sometimes you, can't you don't measure it, know it doesn't exactly exist. how. Anyway, we, we were asked to present at a, up in Boston at this innovation place. And they said, talk about your outcomes. So I said, okay, we're going to be brave and present our ice water steam model. And honestly, I drug half my team up there on stage with me because I said, they're going to think we're total, totally nuts. But after we were done and we explained it, we gave clear examples and came off stage. After the whole presentation was over, several people came up and said, thank you. That's our experience too. That is so... In fact, I've had emails from people over the last couple of years after that saying, I'm still using that. That saved my neck. Thank you. That was helpful. I don't really know exactly all of the stuff about metrics, but I do think it's important in a lab to measure who, how many people come in. Do you have repeat people? Do they feel it's worthwhile? Do they finish the projects? I mean, you can always measure, did the project make a difference? To me, that's kind of the no-brainer of it. But what happened? What trans- what's transformation? Did people's language change? Did they have skills they learned in the lab that they started applying to their work? Then my big question was that we asked people that had come for several projects, do you find you don't need to come to the lab anymore because you learned enough and you're doing it just innately? And several, we had a lot of people. Of the people that came several times, the first, uh, as the lab got going, I would say if there were 10, six of them would say, we're just doing it. We created our own little lab and we're doing it with our different people. And some people would say, I always want to come back there because I like working in a lab. So those were things I felt were viable for a leader. Of course, you want to know if their project did anything, but that was easy to measure. But what the, to me, was what was the transformation happening? And we worked closely with the employee engagement people in HR. We never claimed that our stuff really was all the reason that things made a difference, but it was part of a reason. Because I never, nothing succeeds in isolation, just like nothing fails in isolation. I felt we had to be mindful that if we were teaching new tools, that was part of what made that employee engagement raise. Anyway, that's a long answer to your question. No, I love it. And and I think the one of the great items in there is that measurement of, have you just taken this into your daily life now? Is this, has this become as natural as breathing? Because that's really how it starts to spread within the whole organization. And I, I, I love that. No, I was going to say, and that also is very dependent on the leader because you can have a lot of great innovation work done and the leadership changes. And that's why I like people to really understand that because people can say, wow, you know, we did all that and now we're moving backwards with a new leader. It just happens sometimes. It's very dependent on a leader, but people shouldn't give up. There's, if they have enough skill, they can talk with leaders. They can, sometimes it takes a while, but I don't think we should ever give up. 
Yeah. And, and some of the, the stuff that you can't measure is the most valuable. You know, I just confession time when earlier when you're talking about how, you know, we don't always make the time for, for these, this mindset. I've been staring at some Google spreadsheets that we use for our company for forecasts and for budgets for years. And I was, uh, as we're getting towards the end of the year, I was looking for trends. I was looking for various items and I just had a bunch of spreadsheets up and I spent half the day doing it. And I eventually just got pissed at myself. I was, and then I had an aha moment. I was like, why the heck am I not just looking at visual like visualizations of this? I'm looking like I'm in the matrix trying to make patterns out of spreadsheet cells rather than looking at some nice visual. And I do visualizations. You know, our company does. I'm, it's very much a, a cobbler shoe kind of dilemma. And that's just <laughs> and, and I think that's also an example of I don't know how to measure it because it's great. Now I, our, my whole executive team, team can just look at these visualizations and see trends pop out at them. I don't know how you measure that. And would you call that in, like it's not it, like Andy, like you said, it's not dark matter. It's not inventing some new technology. You know, everyone does data visualizations. But like, would you classify something like that as innovation? I guess I'll stop there. Yeah. I mean, you, if you create something new or a better way to do it, because innovation is like something useful and novel. But you know, one thing I want to say about data, I have a big burden about this. We are so focused on collecting data on what happened. And we are a lot less focused on why it happened. If we can really, and I, that's what I like about design thinking, because design thinking puts you, it forces you to go to a place to learn why it's happening. Because you can have all kinds of data that says this happened, this happened, this happened. But oftentimes, to know why, it, it's, that's a more crucial thing. So I think what you said, is that an innovation? I would say so. I, I, I define innovation quite broadly. Anything yeah. that creates, anytime you create something new that's useful, you created innovation. I think too, if the question asked afterwards, like, why haven't we been doing this before? I think that's a pretty good indicator that what you did was innovative because if it's that intuitive that people see and they just instantly get it and they instantly see the value, but no one was implementing it before, I think that's innovative in itself. You're connecting the unseemingly obvious points and it, it creates a much easier way to go about we had a project once where it was a neonatal unit and little tiny, tiny preemie babies need to be held. Nurses oftentimes don't have time. So they invented this, developed this cuddler program where volunteers would come in and hold the babies. And it just turned, it was an awesome program. Everyone loved it, but it turned out to be a big disaster because volunteers would come in when babies weren't supposed to be held. Nurses would get upset. Doctors tried to work with the baby. It was just a big collision. Well, the guy that was in charge of the unit brought that to the innovation lab and they all, we had them share what their frustrations were. They were their own empathy source. And after they realized, oh, wow, no one set up a schedule. Okay, it's like, okay, why didn't we think of that? That has been such a great reminder to me of not to mock or scorn the con when an idea comes up. It's like, yeah, why didn't you guys think of that before? It just seems so ridiculous that you didn't think of it. But when you take the whole mm. picture and people are rushing, they're hurried, they're overburdened, they're they don't oftentimes have time to talk to people, so tempers start flying. And they were an angry group of people, too. And then when they came up with this schedule, okay, let's hang something on the door when the baby's ready to be held. And then some of the people's volunteers said, well, we'll make some little felt little signs. And that turned into cuddle bugs, cuddle bugs on the door. And it became an overnight <laughs> success. But to me, it was like, okay, we could have thought of that before, but we didn't. And I think that's where I have felt a need to tell people, it's okay. You didn't think of it because there was other things at play. Emotions were running high. People were annoyed and 
all that. And so I think that when you say, yeah, we should have thought of it sooner, I've noticed when people can feel really guilty, like, wow, was I the one that blocked it? Was I the one that blocked it? But to give, that's why I think innovation has to be a no shame, no blame game. It's, we're learning, we learn from mistakes. It all gives, it's all grist for the mill. I love it. No shame, no blame, and it doesn't have to be rocket science. So I figured maybe one item to finish on is, you know, I'm a big fan of cutting through the nonsense and BS. And, you know, there's a lot of lingo and buzzwords out there. When we, you know, think about the, the transformation and the innovation space, is there, is there, are there things out there that people talk about or that you see out in the ether that is just, you know, it raises your BS flags and, and you'd like to cut through it? Oh man, we we were just talking about it the other day. We were presenting at um, OPEX in Orlando, and it seemed like every presentation was about how to like improve your company culture. And I love how everyone's talking about it, but nobody knows what they're talking about. The same thing, and that's why. And you know, I had got my master's in anthropology, so culture is kind of like the focus of that education. And even within that, there's a lot of disagreements about what culture means and what it is. So. I just love when people are like, we can help you improve your culture in five steps. I'm like, no, you can't. That's okay. Just don't, just, just don't even try. <laughs> For me, this is where I'm at. And I'm much more of a practice, practitioner than a theoretical person. If a person can't tell me, okay, this is going to sound very harsh, but I found it to be true. I want to know what your experience is. When did you try it? How did it work? What did you do? Because if we're just quoting in other people's work, other people's ideas, I think it's helpful and very helpful for an organization to hear these are the theories and this is what people did, but this is what we did. This is how we did it and this is how it worked for us. Because until you can really get experience like boots on the ground where you're actually doing it, I think you're just talking theoretically and it's not that meaningful. And that's why whenever people ask me to talk, if I don't share my own personal experiences with it, we have to sometimes change a lot of the names and things like that. But I don't want them to believe me. I don't think they should believe me unless it's like if I said, we raised employee engagement by 28%. Okay, tell me how you did it. I want to know how it happened. What were the ups and downs of that to make that happen? Then I think people are not just talking out of both sides of their mouth. It's very easy to talk about theory, but to do, to get and be in a lab or to be with people, to travel to, to where they are and learn from them there is nothing like it. And you never have to worry about BSing people if you have your own personal experience. I love that perspective. And I love your approach. Dr. Karen Telstra and Andy Telstra, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. And I just want to say we're a mother-son team, just in case people are wondering. <laughs> <laughs> right. For those, for those audio podcast uh, enjoyers out there. George, thank you so much. It was an honor to be here with you. And I hope it was helpful. Yeah. I hope it made sense. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Well, thank you. Technology should serve vision, not set it. At Intevity, we design clear blueprints for organizational readiness and digital transformation that allow companies to chart new paths. Then we drive the implementation of those plans with our client partners in service of growth. Find out more at www.intevity.com. You've been listening to C-Suite Blueprint. If you like what you've heard, be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you never miss a new episode. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could leave a rating. Just give us however many stars you think we deserve. Until next time.